Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. So today, I have an amazing friend of mine, Melissa Worrell, who, gosh, if you go back to many years ago when this podcast was in fact called Unfiltered, perhaps don't. It was a little bit messier. It was an interesting style of podcast. Mel was in fact one of our first guests and we were talking about Rieslings. Well, we have stayed friends during our WSET diploma and beyond. I have calmly stated that I'm okay now just studying for myself. She, on the other hand, is one of those crazy people who is doing her master of wine. So she is a stage one student in the first year. So she's going to be talking through her experiences, what she's doing, how she's studying. Hopefully there'll be a bit of advice in there for you and you will certainly also see the struggles. Then of course, because Mel is from Barossa Valley in South Australia, we're going to be talking about the wine regions of South Australia. So She's going to take us on a bit of a tour so you can understand where they all are in comparison to Adelaide. And then we're also going to be discussing how different grape varieties change depending on where they're grown and maybe winemaking techniques and how the climates and the soils affect things. And in fact, of course, talking of soils, if you listen to last week's episode, you will know that I was getting quite geeky about soils. So to enhance that and take you to the next level, I want to quickly just talk about Kunawa and their Terra Rosa soils because these are basically the most famous soils of Australia. So these are basically red soils. They're really quite vibrant and they sit over the top of white limestone soils underneath. So Terra Rosa means red earth in Latin and it's basically a red loamy soil. It's very fertile, the red part of the soil and is full of lots of iron oxides, which is why you have that rusty, bright red colour. And then the chalky limestone underneath has amazing drainage. The soil's pH is neutral to slightly alkaline, which we like. And in terms of flavours, that fertile top soil, the red soil, gives really concentrated berry fruits and cassis notes to the Cabernet Sauvignon that grows there. And there is this hallmark mintiness and a good minerality, which is in theory maybe coming from the limestone. Right, Terra Rossa soils tick. Let's go over to the chat with Mel now. Thanks for joining me. I'm no feeling worries. quite sad now because you just told me before we pressed record that you're drinking wine and I feel a bit stupid because I brought tea with me to the podcast. <laughs> Do you think that now people listening have no respect for me anymore? <laughs> I, I don't have any respect for you anymore. And You've I'm lost pleased it. That I'm, yeah, I'm pleased that I'm bringing some credibility to this podcast with my wine. So at least, at least I'm here. 
meh. Yeah, but you say credibility, <laughs> but you told me that your wine was from Luxembourg and you're Australian and part of this podcast is supposed to be on Australian wine. So where's the authenticity? All about the diversity. I've actually, I've actually got a cracking bottle of Riesling to take to an event tomorrow night, which is also Ooh. in the fridge. So I've saved that to have external credibility at the event. Um, now, Mel, why do we love wine? Why do you love wine? Oh heck! All right, is there I an answer? Wrote, I, yeah, I actually wrote like a um, did you a practice on this? Yeah, I did. Oh my god! Um, For me. But, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And do you know what it was? Like, it was, what? It was like, what does wine mean to you? I wrote good question. <laughs> okay, but now you need to actually give me an answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I love about wine is what it does for me and what it does for others. So I think it's like mm. it's the friendship, it's the experiences that That's you have true, with it. it? Um, what I love about wine is actually what we've already touched on in this conversation so far. Like it reminds me of home, oh, um, yeah, but yeah. it also reminds me of traveling. Yeah. So one of the things that I love most about opening a bottle of wine for the Barossa is the last time that that wine was out of the bottle, it was at home and then it's mm. getting poured into my glass over here. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's memories. You know what I mean? It's memories of the people you're sharing it with that, you know, we still pull out a bottle of wine and you know you'll think about a particular vintage or you'll think about you know who you were with last time that you you know you had a bottle and that's what I love about wine I think that's not that's not quite repeated across any other any other I guess beverage like you just don't get that excited about an orange juice or a beer <laughs> perhaps a whiskey perhaps but yeah. not to the same you know it's still limited in where it's from and mm. that sort of thing but yeah I think that's what makes wine special. And to be honest, yeah, well, your story, well, coming from Barossa, you've done so many different jobs in Barossa and growing up. And I think I've heard you say stories about when you were a teenager, so many people were connected to their friends or their uncles or their dads were winemakers. And so, you know, everyone was kind of submerged in the wine world, even without knowing it, right? It's an incestuous, incestuous by the <laughs> web, Janina. <laughs> Oh, I didn't notice that when I went to visit Barossa, but thanks for letting me know. <laughs> Scratch below the surface. Mm, to be honest, you did write in your article for Jancis Robinson when I was reading it, like everyone in Barossa knows everyone. So it's just, that is the rules, right? Actually, let's talk about the, let's talk about the article. That was cool. Sure. Why were you writing? This was, so Jancis Robinson does a competition. Is this every year? Yeah, yeah. So every year Jancis Robinson does a wine writing competition. They choose a topic. So I, I can only presume she specifically chooses the the topic mm. um and invites people within the industry to um yeah to submit articles um and then winners are chosen that sort of thing um so last year so 2021 was uh, about old vines because there was just there'd been an old vine conference um mm. i think it was done online um, because we couldn't travel. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, so they're inviting people to share stories about old vines. So it could be vineyards or the people. And the idea is sort of to, I guess, you know, sort of um, show appreciation and stir up the interest for for what old vines do around the world. Um, mm. So I chose to write an article on old vines in the Barossa. We're very, very lucky in the Barossa to have some of the oldest existing continuously producing vines in the world. Um, mm. We've been touching wood wood <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> untouched untouched by phylloxera 
yeah, obviously yeah. we're still original rootstocks. So I, I wrote about um, old vines from, yeah, the, the um, sort of mid-1800s at a beautiful little vineyard in a hamlet north of the Brossa. Um, vineyard's called Rojo Mama now, um, but the, the, the hamlet's Ebenezer. And as I was writing about Rojo Mama's vineyards, <laughs> as I was writing about Rojo Mama's vineyards, mm. I worked out that I knew... The family that they'd brought the, the the vineyard from, and I actually remember going to parties there. Do you didn't realise at the time it was like literally a realisation when writing the article? That's right. Yeah. So when <laughs> when she when when Bernie started describing to me sort of where they were, like I had a very good understanding of where they were, but I'd never actually mm-hmm. visited um, since I since I got to know Roger Mother as producers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when she was explaining it to me, I'm like. Family that you purchased those vines from, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> do they have a daughter called? Oh, I know them. <laughs> so yeah, I went to school with. I went to school with them. Uh, so teenage shenanigans. You were all having a party in the vines, huh? <laughs> we were all having a party in the. To vines. be honest, that sounds so much fun. A lot of no good can happen in a vineyard, and it's quite fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I shudder to think now about a bunch of punk teenagers tromping through some 150-year-old vines looking for somewhere to go and, yeah, have a have a pash. Yeah. Um, it's, just, it's just awful. It's just awful. As a grown-up, I'm upset at the thought of us tromping through these vines. I hope we didn't hurt them. I really No, hope it's funny, didn't. isn't it? You know, you talk to vineyard owners and you're like, you know, what pests do you have? What are the problems? Like, oh, we're worried, worried about birds and, oh, we have problems with badgers and rabbits mm. and bears. And in Brussels, like, oh. Brussels, punk fucking teenagers. <laughs> uh, and you're like, are there special nets? Are there special things to stop teenagers going in? Oh, dear. You were one of them. Oh, my God. So tell me, what was the life-affirming moment in a vineyard, presumably in Barossa? Am I being creative here? <laughs> my life-affirming moment in a vineyard. I've had a couple, but some of them aren't safe. for um. Ah, are they a little bit PG-13? Actually, probably higher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in vineyards, no. yeah. Half of the course. Half of the course. But not specifically about the Barossa ones. I was going to talk oh, about uh, a non-Barossa uh, one. Okay, okay. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> um, so life-affirming moment in, the vineyard, in a vineyard actually happened earlier this year when I was in Austria. Um, ah. I was very, very lucky to spend a day with a fantastic producer called Birgit Brownstein. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember after a really fantastic day with her standing in her vineyard. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a stand facing the direction now. This is me moving around. Oh, my God, how um, funny. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. My Everybody visualise. Yeah, everyone, everyone, guys, my eyes are shut. I'm telling the story. Love um, it. Overlooking, overlooking, um, now this is my, my Austrian pronunciation, but it's um, a noodleum sea, like overlooking this mm-hmm. giant lake as the yeah. sun is setting. It's absolute golden hour. Um, oh, it's absolutely stunning. She had a bottle of her wine um, that we were sipping on as we were talking through. We just spent, literally spent a day like through the vineyards and she has a, a stone circle that her friend made that we'd been walking in and it was like this most mindful meditative afternoon mm. um and she is the most at peace person she's just like sunshine to be around um and that i think the glass of wine and i was about to embark on a week of learning and studying and i was quite nervous and excited about that but there was just this time of absolute peace in this golden hour with a glass of wine sun setting 
um, over this beautiful, beautiful place that I'd never been to before. And I was just like, fuck, yes. this is all right. This is, <laughs> this is why I'm doing it. So, yeah, I mean, actually, that's not just life affirming, but probably affirming to you that you choosing to go down the program to be a master of wine is probably worth it, right? Because... Oh, why the have... next day <laughs> <laughs> why did you oh bless you I mean why why did you decide to study Master of Wine Ooh, insanity okay yeah well so Slightly. um I've got three answers for this I've oh got I love that a raw answer I've got a business answer and I've got a fun answer I want raw and fun. Screw business, okay. no? Okay. Okay. So raw <laughs> answer is I have the most ridiculous imposter syndrome and I needed oh. to feel like I was taken as a professional in the industry <gasps> and I never really? feel like I know enough. Yeah. I still feel shy rocking up to tastings like people are mm. going to kick me out because I don't deserve <gasps> to be there. So, yeah. So I'm like, well, well, maybe if I'm a master, people will think that I'm proper. They're better. Yeah, well, that's maybe. quite sad. I don't agree. So, yeah, I'm not so, happy about that, but okay. That was a really sad answer, Mel. Oh. It was. How depressing. Okay, can we go yeah, to the fun one? It was raw. I told you it was raw. It, it was raw. raw. Thank you for, mm. you know, bleeding your heart out a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Genuinely. I don't know yeah. if that's actually coming across. I don't know if I sound genuine. <laughs> this sounds a bit like, oh, sorry <laughs> about that. Now, thank you. Yeah, it sucks to be you, Mel. Oh, no, I'm sorry about that. Now, go to the fun one. Uh, well, my name is Melissa Worrell, so my initials are Oh, MW. MW. Yeah. And I really think being MW squared would be absolutely fantastic. Oh, that so, is brilliant. Yeah. No, yeah, so I'm my long-term that. my long term future professional goal um, is to be MW squared, and I'm going to get a tattoo, <laughs> and, um, and it's going to be somehow it's going to be my business card and logo. <gasps> love it, love it, love it. Can you yeah. actually go on? Give me the business answer as well now. Just come on. What's the, what was the business answer? <laughs> Well, I'm the over a little bit. I think it's it's it's, it's to it's to grow and develop within the industry okay. into oh, I boring. guess you know five year plan. La, 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 la. <laughs> so everybody who is aware of the Master of Wine program knows that my God, it is tough as hell. It takes years and years and years. It's not easy. So, but for you personally, being in the first year, so you're a first year mm-hmm, student, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. has been the biggest surprise or even shocks? whilst doing it um, so probably probably the biggest surprise about being um on the program although i am only in the first year so it is still very much sort of baby steps with it mm-hmm. um is is the community like i just can't believe how freaking amazing and supportive everyone is mm. it's just the most incredible group of people and what i've found is it's not a hunger game situation you know what I mean like there's not oh, a finite yeah. amount of people that mm-hmm. can go through what it is 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 stronger together sort of thing like building each other up sharing resources sharing ideas sharing your expertise and knowledge um and that's just been wonderful with this group of people that are just amazing I was standing mm-hmm. in in um in Roost with people that have got master's degrees and speak three or four languages and they've traveled from here and they've done this and they've done that. And then, yeah, then there's that dickhead punk friend, the Barossa, that <laughs> trumps around Stop to it. their friend's dad's vineyards, breaking the old vine. Oh, yeah. You know those old vines that you wrote about? Maybe they'd be yeah, older yeah, if it yeah, wasn't yeah, for I you. No, oh, I didn't dear. jump on I didn't jump on them. <gasps> 
Police, police. Anyway. Um, yeah, so you know, I think um I think yeah, community. Um like the support and encourage um knowledge sharing has been yeah, absolutely incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Amazing. It's also terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And actually, Mike, how does it work? Because I think a lot of people have asked, they've asked me this and I don't fully know. Financial costs. Like, have you mm, created mm. a plan for Obviously, there is the set pricing for the exams. Okay, cool. But then the likelihood is there's not many human beings that can pass all the exams first time. So you've got to pay for every exam the second or third time or fourth time you take it. Plus, probably what costs more money is actually the samples and the trips abroad, right? So have you worked out a plan of one, how much money you think it's going to cost you and two, where you can maybe get help or sponsors to help financially or are you just going to sell your body I mean I'm just wondering you know what's your thoughts (laughs) (laughs) well that is an option I was thinking does anyone actually need a spleen like honestly like (laughs) I don't I don't know what they go for on the secondary market a gallbladder Uh I'm pretty sure that might fund um it is expensive it is it's prohibitively expensive for a lot of people um which is challenging um and I can touch on a creative way to get um, that, that one of my study colleagues has um, come up with for that ah, in okay. a minute, which is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a, it was a huge, like financial was a huge part of the factoring in with it. Um, and yeah, a serious conversation that you want to have with your family and life partner. It's definitely not a solo decision because it is so much time, it's so much money and it is so much stress. And yeah. when they were talking about Marriages, like they were saying in the program, marriages don't survive it. Sometimes they weren't even joking. Like I'm starting to find examples of marriages not um, making it through the other side of um, of people doing the NW. So it's, it is just mm. such a big commitment. Um, so yeah, so, but there are different ways you can go around it um, and work with it. So the Institute of Masters of Wine has a few. Um, they have a few scholarship programs so people can apply for those so it might either be like a year's worth or the whole program's worth different sort of things um sometimes you're lucky enough to have um your um employer um cover all or part or some of of what you do as well so that's um that's quite often what people have a part sponsor part funding uh, they might have someone sponsor their their wines and their studies but they have to do their trips themselves that sort of thing mm-hmm. um but the other like the the wine is actually a really big cost of it as well because the expectation and the amount of tasting you need to do so the, again that's where that wonderful community comes back into it and um i'm yeah i'm in a tasting group Perfect. um there's sort of eight of us that get together fortnightly it's about to go to weekly um, and so rather than you trying to do everything yourself, you're splitting the cost. Um, and that makes such a difference. It turns something completely unachievable into, yeah, something a lot more achievable. So that, that's been a big way of doing it is um, sharing where we can. Um, and it sounds super glam, but <laughs> sort of travel like travel like punk sleep in the back of the car and mm-hmm. um stay at, <laughs> stay at hostels or you know, yeah. stay yeah. on someone's floor because you can like it's but I think that's part of that community as well is it's hard and if there's options to um you know if there's options to split a room or yeah or stay at a friend's a friend's family's house or, or you know like a um a friend's you know friend's mate's place in a different country that's sort of what you do to to get through and learn it's just that passion that gets you going well, you are a student again, aren't you, right? Yeah. <laughs> student yeah, without the dorms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
It basically. So now tell me, <clears throat> you have you're in year one. So what what do you have to do in year one compared to year two? So we've got in year one, we've got essentially five subjects. Okay. That we are going to be assessed on at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's viticulture, vinification, um, pre-packaging, basically from the vineyard to the bottle. Okay. Sorry, not from the vineyard to the bottle, from the, from the winery to the bottle, from when you when it goes into the bottle to when it goes out. Um, and then finance, and then um, that's four. And then in the in the second year, there is a fifth subject, which is which sounds quite interesting actually. It's the theory. Um, what is that philosophy of wine something oh, like that I don't have to okay. I don't have to think about that until future future mm. no one needs to worry about that one so but it's sort of you when you go into these you know like is you know why does wine exist or yeah you know is there a future in wine you kind of get really quite oh. really quite existentialist on things yeah mm-hmm. so it is okay. literally and I mean this is the whole master's thing it's become a a master across the whole um the whole, the whole spectrum of, of the wine, wine tray, the whole spectrum yeah. so it's not just about it started as wine business um, and that was the idea of, of how it began 60, 65 years ago. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it is to have that viticulture, vinification, um, bottling, you know, quality assurance, quality control, understanding as well as, you know, routes to market, market share, market positioning, um, you know, how much does it cost to export wine, how much does it cost to bottle wine. Oh, I've got wine, a headache. You know. oh. Yeah, it's, it's quite... <laughs> It's quite, I mean, it is, it is endlessly fascinating, but you do get, uh, it does, the absurdity of it catches you sometimes. I was on a really valuable call today um, with a, um, with a wine system and I've had to, I've had to learn how spectrometry, I can't even say it, spectrometry, spectrocolor refraction works again, you know, like it was getting quite, you know. Um, and the you know malolactic fermentation mm-hmm, deep mm-hmm. dive and that kind of thing. So learning you know sequential versus pro-fermentation you know benefits that sort of thing. You're like right, I've got to remember all of this. And yeah, it, <sighs> it's slightly it's slightly absurd. I was yeah driving down the M1 desperately trying to listen to a malolactic fermentation um, webinar last week, <laughs> wondering what the hell I'm doing with my life. Um, so listen for anyone listening don't worry about about mel having a whole webinar malolactic fermentation is the malic acid turning into lactic acid it's the more spritzy apple acid turning into a lovely creamy dairy acid done full stop there's nothing else we need to know (laughs) that's it i'm happy that's it Oh, that's the normal person response. That is the normal person response. Exactly. Yeah. And quite clearly, if there was a webinar, how long did this webinar last? Hour and a half. Hour and a half. And there was almost amazing lecturer from South Africa who, yeah, it was, okay. it was amazing. brilliant. Okay, so they didn't yeah. bore you. So everybody listening, if you're interested in what I just said in one minute, there is another one hour <laughs> and 29 minutes worth of content that you could possibly learn about malolactic fermentation. Great. <laughs> I can show you some graphs if you like. Actually, to be honest, now I actually am feeling quite uh, geeky. Yeah, you, kind you of want the link. You want the link. We'll put Maybe. It in the show okay, all right. All right, exactly. Actually, that's a good point. Oh, my God. Okay, so it, there's no tasting at the end of year one, just Oh, God, theory. sorry. No, I haven't even spoken about the tasting side oh. of it. Um, and then there's and then there's three tasting exams as well. So P1, P2, and P3 in the tasting exams. Um, so P1's maybe that one's white wines of the world 
Mm-hmm. Um, P2 is red wines of the world and P3 is everything else. So rosés, sparklings, um, sweets, fortifieds, that sort of thing. So there's, yeah, there's those as well. <laughs> and so that's <sighs> 12 wine blind um, and you've got something like nine minutes per wine to assess the wine, write about the wine, and then quite detailed responses. Some of them are 25, 50 markers. It's quite boggling yeah. still at the moment, um, you know, compare and contrast the wines, all this sort of thing. So, yeah, it's 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 full on. Like you're looking at a, a glass of wine and you think it's likely to be, you know, based on colour, you know, let's go it's likely to be Nebbiolo based on the colour and then, you know, you smell it and it, it you know, confirms Nebbiolo because of, you know, like aromas of X, Y, Z, tasting it. Um, Tar and roses, everyone. Tar and roses. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're finding, you know, you're finding the, the high tannins and you're finding the, the high yeah. acid. You're like, okay. But then you can't just say in that order. It has to be your most compelling argument first in your structure of your response, oh, which is hell. quite hard as well. Like what makes this most like whatever I think it might be, which of course it may not be because – Turns out I can't tell the difference between a Spanish Tempranillo and a Barossa Shiraz at the moment because <laughs> they're presenting exactly the same to me. Oh, listen, I uh, blind tasting is possibly the worst thing for me. So do you think that's going to be your biggest challenge, actually, the blind tasting? Well, I always thought tasting was my strength, but um, mm. <laughs> Until no, now. I don't think it is. Yeah, um, tasting is hard. Tasting is hard now. How have you been studying for your exams? Like right now, how do you even structure learning about everything there is to learn about wine? Yeah, I spend a lot of time spinning around in a circle, flapping. I know. Like that. that sounds that's fun. Quiet. Yeah, that's that a sounds thing. like that's my style. And then, yeah. and then what? Yeah. <laughs> um, and anything, then Mel? Anything useful for anyone else thinking about studying? Oh, sorry. <laughs> you, didn't want, you didn't want what I actually do. You want what I should be doing. Yeah, yeah, that right. would be useful. Any advice that someone's given you then, if you've got no advice yeah, for anyone else? Yes, yeah, please don't, please don't come to me for advice, God. Um, <laughs> So what I what I've been doing so I've got I, I need to be accountable because I procrastinate. Um, yeah. So I've got study groups. Um, so I've got a theory group, I've got a practical group, and then I've got like a midweek group that meets on the theory side of practical, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So okay, um, yeah. so essentially, I'm meeting at least um, another group of people once a week, and I have to have shit ready for that meeting. So if yeah, I don't okay. have it then that's not good enough and I'm letting the team down. So we're sort of like, again, it's that knowledge pooling and resource sharing of, okay, well, I've done a practice on this and you've done a practice on that. And so we're going to go through our ideas, go, go through our structure, go through our responses. Why did you write that? That sort of thing. So that's making me do something every week, whether I want to or not. Yeah. Um, and I find that I find that most useful. And I know everyone studies slightly differently, but I find group work and being accountable to others the most useful thing for me because or if it was just up to me I'd be quite okay letting myself down I'm less good <laughs> at letting other people down yeah um, no, and I that and that's, that's a really good checkpoint yeah um for me so that's what I found um really really useful and again it's an amazing group of people some like some of them are in the other is some crossover but the really great thing that's happened with the practical groups uh, sorry with the theory groups as well is we don't all have to be in the same country. We're not all trying to sit in the same room together, which mm-hmm. I think up until a couple of years ago, you know, you had to really study with whoever 
was near you. Yeah. Um, I've got, you know, I've got someone who's in France at the moment. I've got someone who's in Denmark at the moment. So there's oh, no really? limit on, um, yeah, limit on who you can study with, which is, which is really, really, really useful from that perspective. Um, and then from the, you know, from the, from the wine flight exam perspective, obviously sitting in the same room and pouring wine makes the costs a lot, um, a lot more achievable. But in terms of structure, so I know I know the subjects. I've got the P1, P2, P3 before. Um, breaking everything down. So it was reading over past exam papers, going through all the past exam paper questions, breaking them down into subjects within the syllabus, um, and just making sure that I have done them, looked at them, researched something, got examples where I can, worked out how I'm going to answer them in structure, that sort of thing. So it's not... Mm. It's not that simple. I please don't ever think that this is like I'm making it sound simple because it's the scariest thing I've ever done. But it is just trying to break, breaking it down into bite-sized chunks um, based on the syllabus and then working through them. Now your homework here, the P six yeah. exam with me, <laughs> was I wanted you to educate me on South Australia as a region because this is your region. This is you know your home country. Where do you want to start? Educate me. So I think I think the really lovely thing about Adelaide is that um, there are so many gorgeous wine regions mm-hmm. so close to it. Um, yeah. Obviously, the Barossa is the best, and that's where everyone should definitely be going. It's the best. Yeah, in conjunction with others, but please all do visit the Barossa because it is it is it's, it's the best. Um, so Adelaide, um, so Adelaide is in South Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, capital city right down south so the Barossa is about I'm going to talk in kilometers because I'm home in my mind now That's um the Barossa is about 60 kilometers north of Adelaide mm. um and the Barossa encapsulates the Barossa Valley and the Eden Valley yeah um so if you go another 60 kilometers north of that so about 120 k's north of Adelaide you've got the Clare Valley yeah. Um, the Clare Valley is again very beautiful um, and known for exceptional Rieslings as well. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon as well, um, Shiraz, there's some Grenache there too. Back to Adelaide is our starting point again. Um, if you go about 25 minutes east, you go mm. into the Adelaide Hills. Yeah. Um, so Adelaide Hills is known for Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, so it's a lot cooler there, a bit higher elevation. Um, and when they make their Shiraz, they're calling it Syrah because of that stylistic difference. Ah, uh, do you know what? I've been to Adelaide Hills, in fact, many, many mm. years ago, and I loved it, and it was beautiful, which, like most wine regions. Um, but I was really into the Chardonnays there, so much so yeah. that I, had, I didn't even notice that they were calling their Shirazes Syrah. That is very mm. interesting. I mean, so not yeah. always, but it is certainly, there's certainly a, okay. a, a, a trend. To, and again, to, yeah, to differentiate mm. um, what I guess you're expecting in style mm. compared mm. to, say, the Barossa um, or to McLaren Vale, which is our next wine region we're going to talk about. Okay. Um, so McLaren Vale is about 45 minutes south of Adelaide. Yeah. Um, so kind of near the beach. Um, How close and, to the beach, by the way? Because I haven't mm, been to, I've been to every region you've mentioned so far, but now, now it all goes Pete Tong, all goes south. I've, <laughs> I, have, I never went south. So, south. No, I didn't go south. So McLaren Vale, how close to the beach? You know, I feel like you want now to... you're testing me. So oh, okay, no, fair <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. So like not, you can see, you, you can see 
the beach from vineyard but it goes back a bit as well so i would say like 15 minutes drive okay. to the beach from some of the closest vineyards <gasps> i'm liking the idea of that so you definitely definitely have like coastal influences in some of it but then i guess mm-hmm. as it goes down um like as you go further down into mccarran vale and in um that coastal influence would become less and it would be more sort of mediterranean um mm-hmm. in its influence um mm-hmm. And so they grow some really lovely Grenache down there, Shiraz. Yes. Um, and there's quite an emergence of um, Mediterranean for the second time. They call Mediterranean varieties, sort of what we would call in Europe, sort of, I guess, more traditional Italian and, and Spanish varietals um, are growing yeah. quite well down in McLaren Vale. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so that's 45 minutes south of Adelaide. We're not done yet because there's even more wine regions in South Australia. Exactly. Well, this is the point. I think a lot of people, it's like, Barossa, tick, done. It's like, no, there's mm. loads. Okay, carry on. Um, so back to Adelaide again. So if we go south for four hours, we get the Coonawarra. So the Coonawarra is about four hours from Adelaide and five hours from Melbourne. Um, mm. So just in the South Australian border. Uh, premium Cab Sav, like I'm sure that Coonawarra is quite famous for its lovely Terrarossa soil. Yes. Um, and that cigar-shaped strip that that soil's on um, and again you get a lot of ocean influence there as well because it's quite flat so when the the ocean southern ocean um breeze comes in that yeah that impacts that so Coonawarra is one of our favorite areas we um we used to go down there on honeymoons and and wedding anniversaries oh really yeah yeah that's where we went for our our, well it was when we went for our honeymoons we used to go back every year for our wedding anniversary oh I love that um yeah which is lovely where would you go where would you actually stay I don't know like (laughs) so we'd stay shout out yeah of course um yeah shout out Lumber have a beautiful vineyard down there called oh. Menzies Vineyard, I and they know. have a gorgeous round earth cottage called the Menzies Retreat. And so <gasps> we'd stay at the Menzies Retreat. It was in mm. some vineyards on one side and a bit of scrubland on the other. So you could go and yeah, just not oh, be disturbed. For yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, open fire. Oh, Love it. Lovely. Take me back. Oh. oh no, absolutely. <laughs> I'm and anything with a vineyard, I'm going to be happy. But that sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's just. Super simple and super gorgeous. Have you tasted any wines from Kangaroo Island? <laughs> oh my god, I'm not. I don't, hang on, hang on. I'm not done oh, yet. I'm sorry, sorry. Going. Pause. Keep go, keep going. Keep going. I was just. I wanted to keep going. Yes, the answer is the answer, the answer is, is yes. yes. And the answer is getting there. Okay. So um. So we. So what I've done with the Barossa Clare Adelaide Hills and McLaren Vale Coonawarra is I've that to me and I'm sure that people from the other regions will take um take issue, but that to me the most um, well known, yeah. Well known, iconic, um, quality, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quality driven um, as well, yeah. So then, so so after that, so what, I guess the biggest volume, which I haven't touched on yet, but I'm going to um, <laughs> talk about now, is the Riverland. Yes, so the Riverland is um, about two hours. What are we going to go like? East of Adelaide, northeast. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. It goes across the river. The river goes around the yeah. top. Um, yeah. But that is our, I guess, our workhorse of fruit. Um, mm-hmm. That's where it's something like the Riverlands responsible for like thirty three percent of all of Australia's crush. Oh, um, okay. It's like a like it's a huge workhorse, and it has been quite cropped heavily. Do you know the yields have been mm. really, really big? Um, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. is definitely, and it is like those those high yielding, you know, Sauvignon Blancs. We in in Australia do a lot of bag and box, so we get the the five liters and the um, three liter 
you know, berries, shbatlays, fruity, lexia and stuff like that. So that's where mm -hmm. that fruit's coming from. Um, so that has been the Riverland. So very, very, very important from a commercial piece. Um, yeah. But also, and um, we'll probably go back to this, but some really interesting stuff coming out now because Riverland vines are all quite old. A lot of them that have gone past their peak production um, have been pulled but a lot of pockets of interesting older stuff is still kicking around so there's some really interesting sort of slightly alternative producers or um yeah making some really great stuff out of riverland fruit now as well so i think that's a region to watch because it's kind of the underdog um mm -hmm. and people weren't expecting much from it but tim wildman actually has just been at the raw festival with his pet nuts and stuff and a lot of his fruits from the Riverland. Oh, interesting. And funny enough, okay, I, well, when when this podcast is released, everyone. Oh, you, sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. You can go back to my Instagram because I haven't actually done it yet, but it will be posted that I was tasting his pet nut that is English and oh my god it is fun it is fruit driven it is so soft it is so beautiful in the bottle the label is amazing and Tim was explaining to me that basically he designed this label with a, a Brighton artist anyone who doesn't live in England Brighton is down on the coast and they basically designed something that needed to look needed to inspire people so it wasn't about the, what is in the juice it's about creating an emotion and that that emotion should be positive and therefore that they want to pick up the bottle and then all he needs to do is make sure that the juice it gives them what they expect which is this positive emotion I just loved the story. He's like literally my new love interest. I swear to God. So everyone go check out that bottle that I've already posted, which I haven't done yet, but it will be in the past by the time you listen. Right. Oh my God. That's so interesting that you've mentioned him. Okay, yeah, I everybody. love that. I love that. And we've also yes. kind of done this back to the future time space continuum thing where it's like currently time present day. It's going to be in the past, but it's not yet in the past. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I'm so confused. Yeah. Moving on. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry, so that, like, um, Yes, Riverland. Um, is it this was still what you're going? Langhorn Creek. <laughs> so that's it. Yes. So that's kind of near the Coonawarra. Um, it's about an hour southeast of Adelaide. It's quite a small region. Um, that's got a lot of Cabernet Sauvignon, um, a lot of emerging Mediterranean varietals. And we've got a big lake that's like, um, like an estuary called Lake Alexandrina. And that's kind of moderated a bit by being around the lake. Um, mm. Adelaide Plains, which is like Virginia, Two Wells um, kind of way. That's a lot more, again, workhorse sort of stuff. Um, a lot of Italian um, immigrants to that okay. area. So a lot of like small plantings and varietals there. Oh, my gosh. And then Kangaroo Island. So Kangaroo Island is only <laughs> tiny. Like there's like 144 hectares of vineyard. Yeah. Um, completely maritime climate because it's a, you know, a little island. Um, only, only just, yeah, only just starting. There's, there was a fledgling um, industry on there a few years ago. Kangaroo Island was quite devastated by um, bushfires in 20, oh, my uh, my dad, my years get lost with the pandemic. 2019, mm. I want to say 2019, it might be 2020. Mm. There was ridiculously devastating fires on Kangaroo Island. But building back up. But yes, there is some really interesting stuff coming out of out of Kangaroo Island. Good, good stuff. And there's an Adelaide, a really, a really excellent Adelaide Hills producer. Charlotte Dalton is her name of her wine label. Charlotte Dalton Wines. Charlotte mm -hmm. Hardy's her name. Um, and she 
is doing a collaboration with some producers on Kangaroo Island, making some making some wine with some of um, their fruit, which I don't think we're going to see in the UK. I think it's only mm. going to be quite small production, but it looks so interesting. So when I get home, I very much want to get some of that in my glass. Well, I just want to point out to everybody, first of all, going to Kangaroo Island in a plane, super fun, super quick, and I have been, but don't expect kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> There's like hardly any kangaroos on Kangaroo Island. I was like so upset. But there are loads of, hang on, were they were they seals? Or yeah, they seals. I think there were seals. Oh my God. There's like seals galore. So I mean, it's actually stink. just, I don't remember them stinking. I think I was probably just. You must have, you must have stood up with Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I was just like in awe because they were all just so beautiful. But I it did it did make me laugh that on Kangaroo Island, there is so little kangaroos, which is just a little bit ironic anyway. So, so <laughs> were you disappointed, disappointed English tourists? Where's my kangaroos? I was a little bit. I was actually. I didn't see hardly any kangaroos when I was in Australia. I think you guys are lying. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Next time, come to the brothel with me. I'll show you some kangaroos. Yeah, all right. I did see a few in the vineyard, so it wasn't it wasn't so bad. Now, tell me, okay, let's let's look at the the main grape varieties like Riesling, probably Cab Sav, and well, Shiraz and Grenache. I can't believe I missed Shiraz. Um, <laughs> Riesling, Clare Valley versus Eden Valley. What do you prefer? Yeah. What do you prefer? Um, Eden, Eden Valley, obviously. Yeah. So Eden Valley is higher than Clare. Um, yeah. And it is cooler, um, so you're getting a little bit more acid. I get a lot more liminess and citrus from Claire. What I get from Eden is musk. So this is a very uh, the different perfume. Like yeah, the, this is a very florals. different indicator. Yes, the yeah, so musk sticks is something I used to buy at the Tananda Pool in summer, down at the canteen, um, and that's what it reminds me of so much. So that I brought musk sticks back to my team when I was. Um, when I last went home, so they could have it as a reference point. And I got quite as excited <gasps> as me. But, yeah, that musk. Um, tur- so Turkish Delight rose petal floral kind of element to it, as Love well it. as almost like lemon sherbet as opposed mm. to um, as opposed to the lime and, and to me more fresh citrus I get from Claire. Okay. Um, Love it. But, yeah. So, and, I mean, obviously Eden, Eden's part of the Barossa GI, so it's it's my home. Um, yes. Something ground advantage. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Don't get me wrong. If anyone offered me a glass of Clare Valley Riesling, I would happily and heartily <laughs> accept it. <laughs> happily it's, and heartily. it's not going to be. It's not going to be painful. Um, Shiraz, I've touched on actually going back in podcasts. Many, I don't know, I can't even remember which number. I'll have to try and search for it. But generally, Barossa Valley versus Eden Valley. Eden Valley always is more that blue fruit, isn't it? Where you get the darker fruit with the Barossa Valley. Would you agree? So, yeah, Barossa Valley is lower altitude um, mm-hmm. and a couple of degrees cooler during the day and during the night. So you're getting... Mm-hmm. Um, you're getting a lot more like earlier fruit ripeness um, and you're also getting a bit more extraction from the from the skins that sort of thing as well Eden Valley tends to have slightly more peppery spicy characters Mm. to it Um, and that's just yeah like the the altitude and temperature difference will make um, an impact on that and then there is a like there is becoming a bit of a stylistic separation between the Brosser and Eden in how they're like each of the winemakers are interpreting the fruit as well in that the Eden tends to have slightly less and this is generalization because every winemaker is going to have course, their own sort of course. fingerprint on how they do it um but they'll have generally slightly less extraction generally it'll be um general oak usage that sort of thing because they're wanting to really encourage the the, the fragrance and the elegance of the um 
of the of the Shiraz, whereas the Barossa has that more robust, almost like yes. meaty, olivey kind of element. And all of a sudden, you can see why I'm mistaking it for Tempranillo when I'm blind. Okay, there you go. There you go. Don't, don't feel bad. It happens. Um, okay, what about Cabernet Sauvignon from Cunuara or mm-hmm. Langhorn Creek? Now, so that's that's not hugely different. Um, mm-hmm. I, my argument, my argument for going, like if I was going to look at two of them blind, would be the Coonawarra obviously has that terrorosa soil, so that limestone mm-hmm. over clay, whereas Langhorn Creek's got more like alluvial soils. Okay. Um, my my pick for Coonawarra would be it, it's just a bit more premium, like a bit more finesse, probably a little okay. bit more structure to it, probably a little bit more complexity to it. Again, generalisation, because a good Langhorn Creek and a bad Coonawarra are probably going to be quite, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like there's going to be know, a crossover. I know, I know. But, mm-hmm. but stylistically, that's what I'd be looking for is that elegance and finesse in the Coonawarra. But they're both going to have, you know, quite rich black fruit, um, red fruit, spice. But I think, yeah, they'd just be that structural elegance. Um, you're more likely to see in Coonawarra. Okay. Okay, and finally, mm-hmm. Grenache, Garnacha, in mm-hmm. McLaren Vale versus in Barossa Valley. Ooh. Mm. Sorry, Grenache is delicious and it's... Full stop. My... <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just get it in, yeah? Um, yeah. It's um, probably my favourite. Red, um, I, both are doing a collection of styles. I would say that typically the Barossa used to be a bit bigger and heavier and a bit more oak than what McLaren Vale used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I disagree with that now. Like I think both of them are doing lighter, more fragrant, spicy characters rather than uh, rather than the extracted and oak. I think there's just a, a huge amount of <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I'm gesturing to you and you can't, of course, see me. So, oh, so everyone's parents are retiring from winemaking. So everyone that's coming into the winemaking wants to do it differently to how their mum and dad did it. Mm-hmm. So, like, typically if we've been looking at the last 25 years, like Grenache that's probably spent a little bit too much time macerated, probably had a little bit more, much time New Oak. And all the people that are taking over have been traveling, they've been going around Europe, they've been going around Italy, they've been going around, you know, Spain and seeing what these beautiful, light, juicy styles can do. And they can see what Ganache can do mm-hmm. um, when it's, you know, in that almost like that Hoven kind of like interpretation of it. And that's how yeah. they want to make that Grenache now. So we're seeing a lot of really exciting, really like lifted, lovely stuff coming out of both Brossa and McLaren Vale. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so watch, yeah. watch this space, basically. They're, start, they're starting to see some over here, which is exciting. I think um, Chafee Brothers. Um, oh, we love Chafee really Brothers. Like, yeah, yeah. And um, the Wine Society have brought over Whistler Wines. Um, and okay. they do a really lovely. They they've got that quite young, fresh, um, minimal sort of minimal fining, minimal filtration, um, and um, juicy stuff with that as well. So check them out. So next week, Mel will be back, and as her master of wine studies has taken her to Rust in Austria, 
which is quite an iconic place for Master of Wine students to go. Next week's episode is going to be on Austrian wine, so don't forget to tune in. Now, as always, I shall finish with a wine quote, and I think you're going to like this one. This is by Dr. Philip Nori, who is an Australian GP and is also known as the Wine Doctor. So he's created the world's first REW, stands for Resveratrol Enhanced Wine. So resveratrol is the antioxidants that we find in our wine that's good for us. He's found a way to increase that. What is not to love? So I feel in dedication of this even healthier wine, I shall use his quote, which is, wine is the thinking person's health drink. I shall certainly second that. So that is it for today. Make sure you have subscribed if you haven't already. Like the podcast, share the podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do leave me a review and a comment because it makes the podcast more discoverable. You already know what's coming up next week. So until then, cheers to you.